here we are on the set for Terence Rattigan's play, After the Dance. This is a, an expensive Kensington apartment, 1939. That's not a bad place to set Twelfth Night, so I think we're going to go with that. I think we're going to go randomly for late 1930s. Why not? I never have any problem with the gap between um, a setting imposed on Shakespeare that is not necessarily um, 1599. Outside of Shakespeare's globe, there's always going to be a gap, always, big, big gap, small gap, between what the play is apparently referring to and what you're seeing on the stage. And personally, I think audiences, um, whether in schools or here, are up for that gap and relish it. The audience is always going to be smart enough to know that there are two parallel things going on, and an awful lot can be revealed um, by a shift of time and place. My own rule of thumb is, if more is revealed than is made confusing, you've made the right choice. Sometimes it becomes more confusing through choice of milieu, in which case you've made the wrong choice. If you can find a milieu, scene by scene, which roots the scene, which gives it a real sense of concreteness, which maybe allows for the kind of displacement activity, the kind of parallel activity, which makes the speaking of the lines feel less of a strain, less of a burden, more natural, more casual, then you're ahead. If they come on, stand, and deliver, I think you're behind. I think that's much harder. These plays are not designed to have breaks at the ends of scenes. These, these plays are really not designed to keep stopping and starting. When I've not enjoyed school productions of Shakespeare, it's been because I've been bothered by the stand and deliverness of it. Given the choice, I'd say go for the concreteness of the setting um, before the seamlessness of the storytelling. I don't think it matters if the end of one scene and the beginning of the next scene are kind of dovetailed in, even tumbled in, to a changing of the setting. Here we are now. I don't have this problem now because we're just doing this scene in this setting. He lives in this apartment. Um, and we could make any kind of choices. Um, I was going to think breakfast. Um, and I've even got... Um, breakfast stuff off stage there. But I'm thinking, no, no, let's not do breakfast. Let's do it that it's 6 o'clock and it's cocktails. If ever thou dost love, in the sweet pangs of it, remember me, for such as I am, all true lovers are, unstayed and skittish in all motions else, save in the constant image of the one that is beloved. How does that like this tune? It gives a very echo to the seat where love is thrown. How to speak masterly. My life, aunt, young though thou art, thine eye hath stayed upon some favour where it loves. If it not, boy. A little. Just, uh, this, this is going to be hard to project, but, and I'm pushing the scene further along sooner than we would necessarily want to do, but do that eye to eye, gives a very echo to the seat where love is thrown. Make it, how do you like this music? It makes me want to kiss you. I'll, and take it at that, take it at that. 
Jesus, I don't know how you are, what you are. You're the strangest creature I ever knew. But you know, just, I think it's, it, I'm just trying to push you two um, closer together so that there's a sense of you wanting to kiss each other, which will give the scene its tension because you're not going to. You can't. But that's what you mean. How do you like, how, we'll, we'll ignore the music for the moment. How do you like this tune? How does that like this tune? It gives a very echo to the seat where love is throned. Now to speak masterly. My life, and young though thou art, thine eye hath stayed upon some favour where it loves. I would go, I think that's great, Ferdy. I would, he's, he's, you know, he's young. Yeah, Stay, keep it there, yeah. Great, no, but that works. But it does work, doesn't it? If we've chosen the 30s, and if we've chosen the 30s, and you are 29, and he is advertising himself to you as 19, it totally works. How do I speak masterly? My life, art. young though thou art, thine eye hath stayed upon some favour where it loves. Hath it not, boy? A little by your favour. Okay. Good. Different, different choice. That was great. That was, she relishes being in the situation that she's in. Now play it that you are totally flushed from inside. And the, phys the, the physicality of it has turned your insides to water. It's much more felt and much more dangerous. Um, my life upon. My life upon. Young though thou art, thine eye hath stayed upon some favour where it loves. Hath it not, boy? A little by your favour. What kind of woman is Of your complexion. She's not worth thee, then. Yeah, very good. <laughs> very good. Great. That's terrific. Use, use the booze. Use the booze. If he's asking, because, yeah. There you go. We could do the, because then we could get that's then we could get double whammy. We could get a big laugh yeah. and it can be sexy, um, and both of those are good things. Something else that I do is, without any kind of qualm, change Shakespeare when a word means something entirely different from what it should mean. I do that all the time here. If the word means the opposite of what it's supposed to mean. It is doing the playwright a disservice not to change it. Very, very good example happens in every single play several times is the use of the word doubt, meaning fear. If you don't change it to fear, um, um, I doubt he will come, uh, which is the kind of line that happens a lot. You're actually telling the audience something entirely different, often the opposite to what Shakespeare intended you to, so change it is what I say, always change it and simplify it, and be unashamed about it, and quite often, if it's incomprehensible, it's because it's one of those instances which don't happen that often where the folio compositor got it wrong, so change it. <laughs>